TuxJam, combining Linux news with Creative Commons goodness. Hello and welcome to TuxJam episode 103. My name is Dave and I'm joined this time, as almost every time, by my two Scottish compadres. We'll start off with Kevy. Hi Kevy, how are you? Hello. Not doing too badly, but I am beer-free tonight, so I'm on the Guinness Clear. So that's always a bit disappointing for a Tux Jam. But uh, yeah, I'm not mixing antibiotics and uh, beer. <laughs> but apart from that, I'm fine. <laughs> no, absolutely. Completely understand. No, no, no issues there whatsoever. And uh, Andrew, are you letting the side down as well? I am beer-free as well. Um, but if you just uh, hang on a moment, I'll take a sip of this nice whiskey that I have. Uh, yes. <laughs> Very nice. Right, so on this episode, we are going to start off with our usual trip down DistroWatch Lane, and then we're going to be reviewing PC Linux OS as our distro review, and after that, we will be looking at the Podcast Manager app Podverse, and of course, we'll end up with our usual rundown of any feedback we've received, and and we may have had a pod crawl in the last week or so. Let's have a look at the some of the latest releases in DistroWatch. Andrew, what did you find on DistroWatch this time around? Uh, my attention has been caught by uh, Regatta OS, which is a Brazilian Linux distribution based on OpenSUSE. Now, I've never heard of Regatta OS, uh, and I noticed it's not the only uh, Brazilian distribution that's on the front page of DistroWatch today, so... Interesting. Um, it says it's focusing on desktop and gaming needs and uh, it has a store for installing applications and games. Interesting that it calls it a store. Um, Out-of-the-box integration with Google Drive, uh, Vulkan Graphics API, and uh, lots of games. Um, and as you might expect, it's not so big on the, the free and open source software side of things because, well, if you want to play games, you... It almost inevitably end up uh, having to deal with proprietary stuff. So they're not shy to do that. And they really only provide one desktop and uh, user environment, uh, maybe the, the better word for it, and that's KDE Plasma. It, um, it looks good. Uh, I imagine you need a reasonably performant uh, PC, given the description it gives being for gaming. It uh, comes in... The default install comes in about three gig, so it's not huge, huge, huge. You know, you have you can put uh, put it on a DVD and have some room to spare. So yeah, not one I've heard of before. Mm, one that I'd be interested in learning a little bit more about, perhaps. Hmm, interesting. I don't not really dabbled that much in KDE myself. Probably from when I used it about twenty five years ago and was scared off by it a little bit. Uh, maybe I should revisit. Yes, it's, 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 it's come on a little bit since then, as has Linux. Mm. A few steps forward. Well, yeah. And, uh, Kevy, what did you see in DistroWatch? Well, one that uh, caught my eye was Rocky Linux 9.2 release. <laughs> Not so much for any other reason than the, on the headline it is, Rocky Linux is a community enterprise operating system designed to be 100% bug-for-bug compatible with Red Hat Enterprise <laughs> Linux. So... <laughs> They, they they love Red Hat and Rel so much that they even reproduce the bugs in their system. <laughs> so yeah, so 
if you fancy giving it a try, if you fancy kind of basically giving Red Hat a try, but you really don't fancy paying out for the support for six months or like 12 months, whatever the minimum spec is, then yeah, go for it. It says the infamous flat pack bug that breaks all fonts and applications using the default font has been fixed! Exclamation mark. So this is obviously a big issue. <laughs> Uh, an Arch 64 kernel with a 64 KB page size is now available via 64, via package kernel 64K. Okay, they felt that that was really important to figure out. A more complete list of new features and changes available on the release notes. Well, I should hope so. <laughs> Otherwise, that will be very short release notes. <laughs> so yeah, as, as far as the Rocky Linux itself goes, uh, this seems to be its first release since uh, uh, six months ago, roughly. So the 11th, uh, sorry, the 28th of November. So, yeah. yeah. If you want to have a look for that, then go give it a check out. It is rockylinux.org. Excellent. I seem to recall we had a distro last time that made specific reference to bugs I can't remember what the, uh, the exact wording was, but I know we had a chuckle about it at the time. Oh, it was something like it was guaranteed bug-free kind of thing. It was something daft like that. <laughs> but, it, 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 but it it translated to the exact opposite. Also, I can't remember now. I, I, I just remember it was a bold statement. I think it said yes. it was bug-free. And you're mm. like, ooh, that's a really bold statement I'm just to make. <laughs> yes. We'll need to go back and listen. <laughs> yes. If, let's go do that now. So... You chose a 9.2 release, Kevy. I did as well, it seems, but it looks as though they're both based on what seems to be a recent update of Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Uh, so the distro I chose was Euro Linux 9.2, uh, which is a, a clone of Red Hat Linux, uh, Enterprise Linux 9.2. Now, I don't know whether that means it is built from the ground up and designed to be compatible with RHEL 9.2, or whether it is effectively a, a a distro based on it, that's not clear from the uh, the notes I have in front of me. Is it perhaps the the, the, the it's just the branding that's different? I mean, is that the I vaguely seem to remember that when I was when I used CentOS, the only real difference was that a lot of the branding was removed and replaced with yeah. CentOS's branding. Otherwise, everything seemed to be absolutely identical. Yes, yes, other than the price tag. Yes, but yes, exactly so. <laughs> But yeah, it says here it maintains compatibility compatibility with RHEL 9.2. Uh, repositories have been expanded to include uh, latest versions of Python, Nginx, Postgres, and Performance Copilot. That, that's something to do with um, with the RHEL stack as well, isn't it, if I remember? Also, a variety of improvements to the web console. Linux kernel has been upgraded, and... OpenSSL and SE Linux user space packages, and basically it's just it's just an up to date version of what Rel is capable of doing. So it seems. So that's Euro Linux nine point two that was released on the eleventh of May. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Maybe we yes. should uh, review one of these uh, Rel nine point two clones. Um, one thing I, no- I don't see CentOS around. What happened to CentOS? I used to use it, but since I stopped using it, I've not even thought about it. Is it is it gone? No, it's still around. They have shifted their direction away from the traditional CentOS 
approach to something called CentOS Stream, which is more of a containerized approach to uh, the CentOS system. Because I think CentOS is is predominantly server based, isn't it? It's not, it's not mm. a desktop. It's not desktop first. So I think that they it's just a a a change in how the distribution itself is is packaged and delivered ah, using okay. containers. According to DistroWatch, it's active, but it says the last release was CentOS 9 on the 3rd of December 21. That's a while ago. Well, see, that's what was I was when I look at this page and I and I see several uh I see Red Hat itself and I see immediately above it two uh, Alma and Euro, which you've discussed. Um, and then there's, there's Rocky. Uh, sorry, yes, sorry, Kevin, you did Rocky. And we're CentOS. <laughs> You'd think they would be yeah. uh, hard on the heels of a, uh, a rel release, wouldn't you? But nope. That's what made me think. What's happened to it? No, well, I, I'm just actually on their website. And the last post they had was the 22nd of November last year. Join us at CentOS OS Connect on uh, February the 3rd, the day before FOSDEM. That's the last post they had. Hmm. Uh, I think this kind of makes sense. So it does look as though the last version of CentOS Stream, version 9, was released in September 2021, but it is supposed to be a uh, a continuous release, like a rolling release. Oh. So I think the idea is you take your snapshot, you upgrade it to the latest through the repositories uh, online, and then it just stays up to date with basically at whatever point you do your upgrades, that's when it's upgraded to. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Yes. Yes. I think I'm going to have a look into uh, CentOS just for all time's sake. Uh, I think we should have a tune. <laughs> this is yes. uh, Rising Bones with The Edge. <laughs>
Welcome back, and now it is time to take a look at this show's distro, and it is PC Linux OS, which I think I first came across in the mid noughties on uh, the cover of uh, Linux Format magazine, mm-hmm. um, and I don't think I've tried it since that cover disc. So, Kevy, how did you get on with PC Linux OS? Yeah, I got on with it quite well, I have to confess. Uh, but just before we actually start, I want to know. I remember the old Linux format cover disk, and it came with that really cool bull logo. What the hell happened to it? It's gone. You know the one I mean? It was like a bull at, at a, about ready to charge. It was that kind of style of bull, big, huge thing. And that used to be its logo. And I was going, that was such cool branding. It's gone. I mean, you can actually, if you type in PC Linux OS logo, like in a DuckDuckGo search or image search or whatever, you'll get it. But uh, that was the main thing on the disc, I remember. And I thought, that's a really cool emblem for the disc. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. So I installed this onto a partition. And so first of all, downloaded the image and I used the Mate image, uh, stuck it onto a pen drive and went to install it. Now, I did have a couple of minor issues in the installation. Nothing major, nothing major at all. It booted up fine as far as the live distro went. The live distro was a very, very full distro. I mean, that's the fullest live distro I think I've seen. You could happily, I think I would happily use that as if if somebody let me and they didn't have Linux on their computer, I would very happily use that. I had a few minor issues with the installation. First of all, none, and I mean none, of the labels showed up in any other partition, which made it really difficult to identify which was my testing partition, given I've labeled it testing. So again, I think I had this with the last time as well. Went went back, looked at the exact number, got it that way, and so that was okay. Went through the installation fairly easily. However, when it came to the installing Grub, I found out that I had to. You couldn't not install Grub. Uh, there was no skip. There was an option to cancel. However, I didn't realize it meant cancel the whole thing and undo it, because when I clicked on cancel, 
it basically came out of the whole thing and uninstalled. And I was like, ah, no, not what I want. But anyway, right, go back and redo it. So another oddity was that I have four hard drives in this computer. And no, I'm not going back to ID days of masters and slaves. That's not it. Uh, but it only displayed two that I could actually install Grub to, which is odd because they're all, none of them have priority over each other, apart from maybe the boot sequence. So that was a slight odd. But anyway, I did notice after installing, I didn't actually create a profile. So not that I'd forgotten to, it's that it actually didn't, just essentially didn't ask me. So, but upon reboot, when you actually boot up the first time, Nice, straightforward. It asks you to create a profile. So did that and asks you to reboot again. Okay, I did that. Now, the distro started up really rapid quick. I mean, considerably quicker than my daily driver of Ubuntu. It was very, very quick. I was really impressed. I think from grub menu to login screen was about eight seconds. It was maybe even less than that. It was very, very quick. It does drop you into a rather ugly looking login screen, I have to confess. You had the user on the left hand side, and there's a text, uh, uh, sorry, on the left hand side, and there's a text box on the right. Be wary, I assumed. Oh, there's your user. Stay, type in your password. And yep. why is my password unencrypted? Oh, that's his user. So then I realized, oh, so what you have to do is, yes, I could click Kevy, type in Kevy, and then do my password. But Kevy's right there. Go over, click on it, and it says, now put in your password. I thought, given that uh, I was the only one there, that was a rather unnecessary step. But anyway, that was just me. That was just me. So initial impressions are that this is a mate desktop with heavy, heavy KDE theming. So straight away, I noticed the icons and everything. All are, from, well, I'm going back probably to 4.3 was last time I used KDE. This, the, the icons and the mouse pointer, everything like that, they all reminded me of KDE 4.3. So not that there's anything wrong with that. Everything was on one single panel at the bottom of the screen. You had on the left hand side, you had the traditional Mate applications places system. Uh, that was over on the far left. That was followed by some quick launch icons. Uh, the program switcher was in the middle and the system tray on the right with the time and date and a wee calendar if you clicked on it. Uh, the default background, which is not unpleasant, is rather unassuming, I would say. It was just a bit of blue wallpaper. I mean, it was rather boring, to be honest. And I mentioned uh, before this about the, the branding, you know, that, that old bull logo that seems to have vanished. But to be honest, there was no logos anywhere. If you didn't know that you were, if you hadn't seen the splash screen, which was literally displayed on my screen for half a second, you would not know this is PC Linux OS. There is literally no branding on this whatsoever. There's no welcome screen or anything. And although there are actually plenty of pre-installed wallpapers, they're mostly either generic or they're mate ones. That's it. There's nothing with a name on them. So I was thinking, okay, this is a bit odd not to have a bit of a, at least, uh, what was he, uh, pride and a bit of a shameless self-promotion. Surely that's the entitlement of any distro, I would say. Initial sound setup was a bit odd. By default, my webcam was my default input. That's nothing odd about that at all. But it actually, when I looked it up, 
It had made my Blue Yeti microphone, which it actually called Blue Yeti microphone, as my default sound output. And I was going, that'll be why I can't get any sound, right? I did like the fact Pulse Audio Volume Control was installed by default. So straight away, I was like, right, yep, switch off the the microphone on my webcam and uh, make my uh, microphone, my Blue Yeti microphone, an actual input, not an output. So change that. Now, there was an absolute ton of applications. I've already mentioned this. I'm not going to list them all because that would just be boring, I think, for anybody. But I'll mention some. So pre-installed for your generic use that everybody or the majority of people would use, it came with the full LibreOffice suite. It came with Firefox. It came with Thunderbird. So those are three apps loads of people will, the majority of people will use. Uh, VLC. It's there for all your uh, media playing needs. However, it did also include something called Dead Beef, uh, which is a dedicated music player. It wouldn't play videos. Dedicated music player. And it's not too dissimilar to one we reviewed not that long ago called Pogo, and which uh, we re-reviewed recently. And we actually looked at it in the very first episode of Tux Jam. Uh, yeah, going back to the past here, Handbrake was on it. Now, that had brought back memories. I used to use Handbrake when uh, I used to rip DVDs to my hard drive. Uh, it can still be used to convert videos to specific sizes and specific revolutions, but given that, one, the most people don't use DVDs anymore, this computer doesn't even have a DVD drive on it, and that also phones and tablets... Really, they're not as fussy anymore. They will scale the majority of videos. Then I have to think that this is actually very niche, quite a very, very niche thing to put on a distro by default. On a personal note, great, great to see GIMP pre-installed on a system. I love that. Not everybody's going to use that. That's, that to be honest is probably pretty niche, but it used to be almost like the poster child of every distro. GIMP's on it. Look at what we've got. Photo editing and. That was uh, that seems to have disappeared, so it's great to see that. Uh, video downloader. This was something I hadn't used before, and it's just really a front end for uh, um, is it YouTube DL or something. It's changed. I can't remember what it's called now. YouTube DL's not being maintained anymore. No, it but you know, it's, it's something. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, it's, that, it's essentially that a front end because yeah. YouTube DL was a primarily a mm. command line thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now speaking of that, so. You have two tabs. You have sound and you've got video. Enter the URL and hit the download. I had varied success with this. I had SoundCloud and Bandcamp. Both worked perfectly for MP3 audios. Ripped them both, no problem. BBC iPlayer, much to my surprise, worked perfectly. It uh, downloaded any video I put in the URL of. I was like, wow, okay, quite surprised at that. Of course, but let's be honest, the majority of people who are wanting to grab a video. Okay, I can't comment on the social media aspect. I don't use social media very much anyway. Uh, I went to YouTube, install, uh, sorry, tried to download a video. No. Tried to download audio. Nope. It failed on both for me. Uh, so that one was a bit disappointing. However, it said on the error, or I checked the error, it said that you are using an old version. Uh, please update. Something like that. And I thought, this actually is one of the downfalls of this system. Or it could be a strength, depending which way you look at it. But from the versions that you got, the system is familiar to Debian, where it goes for stability over features and latest and greatest features. So, for example, just to give you an idea, 
The latest browser at time of recording for Firefox is one 113.0.2, according to the website. That's latest stable, not the latest uh, nightly or anything. The latest version in the PC Linux repos after updating for me was 107.0.1. So we're talking quite a number behind. I suppose if you want something to rip YouTube, you're going to have to have a pretty bleeding edge because one thing YouTube does regularly, if you've got a app that's kept up to date on your phone, you'll know this. It shuts the loopholes that allows people to download their content very rapidly. Okay, it is playing up in a whack-a-mole because all they do is two days later, the app gets updated and you can do it again. But uh, just be wary that you're going to have to use bleeding edge if you want that. Uh, using the terminal. Now, for something that's actually a Red Hat package management distro, an RPM distro, it uses apt, which uh, it's just a bit of an odd one, purely because I, you tend to associate apt with Debian. But it worked. Be wary, sudo is not installed. You have to go su. Sudo, you type in sudo apt update, it says unknown command sudo. Uh, I think the biggest thing you'd have to worry about is you're, you, it doesn't have a lot of strong branding. If you were using this, and because of the way the nature of the repos are, a lot of stuff's not in it, or a lot of stuff's quite old. Just be wary, don't download the latest Deb, because one, it won't work. But secondly, it is an RPM distro. But bear in mind, I think if with the style of distro this is, if you want to download your own packages, this probably isn't the distro for you because with something like RPM, this is going to create dependency nightmare because, yeah, you'll be able to download the package. Then it says can't install it because or it won't work because this needs to be a later upgrade. So then you've got to start manually updating an awful lot of things. So th this could be a bit of a problem if that is it. Then my, I've only got one other wee gripe and that is the given it I can't remember off the top of my head what it actually is. Is it simplicity in use or something that website says? It's got a slogan. And it is meant to make this whole thing simple. And I quite like that. It is very nice. The web the website the website says slogan is so cool ice cubes are jealous. Okay, yeah. that's not what I'm thinking of. <laughs> there was something else, but it was something it was a like simple something or other. I can't remember. But uh so cool ice cubes are jealous. I didn't read that. <laughs> I quite like that. That is, I like that. Yeah, I do. <laughs> but um, no, it's their choice of software center. That's my other gripe. I, I love Synaptic. I really do. As a geek, I love it. However, it is not for the average user, especially if they're going from simplistic to getting everyone to use it. It's far too complicated. It doesn't look nice as an actual uh, software center. And the other thing is, I find with Synaptic is unless you are actually looking for and you know what you're looking for, it's not very good to browse through, right? So Synaptic looks exactly how I remember it looking like back in 2008 when I think I first used it. Maybe it was 2007, right? So we're talking nearly 20 years ago and it does not look any different. In this day and age, fair enough, you can have it uh, installed in a distro, but do not make it your only package manager other than the terminal. Uh, that would be the one thing that I, I would say needs a change stroke update, but that's just my opinion. That's, that, that is just my opinion. 
But overall, I found this a very good distro. Everything I wanted was pretty much there for a base start. There was a few things I would add to it. Uh, there was a few odd things, and you could tell it was trying to aim more for maybe a more mainstream user in that it had things, when I say odd, not odd for the mainstream, I mean odd for us Linux geeks, so things like it had uh, Spotify, and Spotify web app was there installed, Zoom was installed, I didn't try Zoom because I don't tend to use it, but you know those kind of things were there. So they are obviously trying to reach out, but... Uh, for a kind of more mainstream user. If you don't mind it being a wee bit older style, so if you're quite comfortable with Debian and you don't mind things being stable and you're not so keen on getting new stuff, if you want a rock-solid machine, if you want something where you maybe want to build for your, put on your parents' PC, elderly parents, and you don't want them mucking about too much, this might be ideal. Just remove Synaptic from the quick bar. Uh, the quick icons there launch and you've got a system which is actually quite difficult to change or muck around with. Uh, so yeah, certainly if you want stability, very usable system, uh, very traditionally style laid out. Somebody even coming from Windows, I don't think would have any issue with it. Uh, with the Mate desktop, one thing that I did miss was the lack of a search facility in the menu. Uh, if it was, then I didn't notice it, but typing in didn't do anything, but it wasn't like the whisker menu in XFCE. Um, apart from that, I don't know if there's much more I can add to it. I think that this is a good, solid distro. It certainly isn't going to wow anybody, but there is definitely uh, a stable... This is... How can I describe it? This is your kind of a Volvo hatch... A Volvo estate of cars. Yeah, good and practical, but... You ain't getting the birds with it. That seems fair. <laughs> yes, it seems very, very, very fair. Um, but before I pass judgment uh, on it myself, uh, Dave, you pulled a face earlier, and I'm very keen to know why you pulled such a face. Do you remember what was said at the point I pulled the face? Because I might have pulled a few faces <laughs> as Kevin was speaking. Uh, let's see. Was it uh, who's going in for the annual face pulling competition? Uh, was it? No, that it wasn't the conversation. <laughs> no, I think it was. Mm. Uh, I think it was actually just who would go first with the review of PC Linux OS. <laughs> well, it's it's a good job Kevin did go first actually because all I have left are observations. All my. Um, uh, objective review bits have gone. Kevy's picked all those out, which is 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 actually really good uh, because I'm kind of glad that I wasn't the only person that had those particular observations. Uh, the only things that I got left with are the installation process. Now, I tried to make a point of not going into too much detail about the installation process because I don't think people care. But the one thing I did pick up from it is that the installation process seemed to work backwards from a lot of older and more modern distros, whereas it used to be it would ask you all the questions first, then go ahead and do the install. Nowadays, it seems to be, we'll ask you the questions during the install. But this one seemed to do all the installation and then ask you the relevant questions afterwards. It wasn't until the first boot after installation that it asked you, what's your name? What password do you want? All the rest of it, uh, which I thought was really quite interesting that it had taken just a completely different approach from any other distro that I've ever used uh, in the past. Well, at least it didn't ask you after you'd installed it, where would you like this to be installed? <laughs> no, 
no. I, I, d- I did actually have a couple of issues with the installation, but I'm going to put that down to the fact that I was doing it virtually. So I'm, I'm not going to not going to mention those. But um, do 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 do. What have you left me with, uh, Kevin? You mentioned branding, um, and that's one thing that really jumped out to me is that there didn't seem to be much in the way of PC Linux OS branding across the entire uh, system. I also went with the Mate variant of PC Linux OS. I did find a PC Linux OS wallpaper, just one, and I had to install a package to get it. So that was a little bit disappointing. I think they they missed kind of missed a trick there. It's a really nice wallpaper, by the way. Uh, it's called Wallpaper Hyphen Theme Hyphen PC Linux OS on in Synaptic. Go find it. You'll like it. It's a really nice um, piece of kit. Uh, you mentioned about things like Zoom and the video downloader software, and you, I think you I can't remember the exact words you used, but it was around catering for the normal normal users. No, the kind of things no, that people would, normal, would want I think to. I said everyday users. Something. Everyday users. Yeah. Sorry, apologies. Yeah, uh, and I, I did highlight in my notes that it's really good that they have given some consideration to users that may not be completely embedded into the whole Linux slash FOSS, FOSS philosophy, because they also have things like AnyDesk and um, MegaSync, mm-hmm. which are packages that I know that people I know use on a regular basis. Oh, what is uh, AnyDesk? I didn't. I didn't actually remote try desktop. that. Pardon? Remote desktop, remote desktop. All oh, right, okay. But it, but it's it's a support remote desktop. So I fire it up, you fire it up. I give you my code, you type it in, and you can then access my system. Right. So it's okay. a one to one. It's not it's not a an unattended remote desktop like VL, uh, VNC or anything like that. It's a, it's more of a support software. And that was pretty much it. I I will I will definitely agree. It is a very good. Stable and snappy implementation of, of Mate on top of on, on top of an operating system. It does work. It works really well. I do have a question, which I'm not going to ask until I know whether Andrew's about to ask it or not. <laughs> so I'll I'll hold off I'll hold off on that question until Andrew's given his thoughts on the on the uh, distribution, and then we'll uh, we'll pick that up at the end. So I'll I'll pass back to Andrew for that. Actually, before you start your actual d- d- review, Andrew, can you uh, confirm or deny what I thought is is the branding still KDE-ish or is it like old KDE-ish? Um, oh, sorry, the theming, not the branding, the theming. theming. The, the theming looked KDE-4-ish to me, yes. I noticed right. that. Right, okay. Yes. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, I would say not, not KDE Plasma 5, but the one before. Um, in fact... Uh, I mean, it's a, actually, that's a good in to where I'm going with this, and that the whole experience with PC Linux OS, as I sort of hinted earlier, when I recalled first receiving it on a cover disk, was quite nostalgic for me in a good way. So rather than go through the the bits and pieces of the components of the distro as I would normally do, um, I'd like to sort of focus on that because it, it brought back a memory of. Uh, when I got back into Linux at about that time. So when I first encountered Linux with Slackware in 95, it was a tool. It was, you know, it was just something that I used that made my PC a whole lot better than Windows was at the time. Um, And I just used it, you know, and I really wasn't that interested in free software or open source software or, you know, anything like that. I just thought it was a, a great system. Very useful, and paid not much attention to it. But then that changed about ten years after that, in the sort of early to mid noughties, 
I get, I became, I returned to Linux and I was very interested in not just the software, but the sort of how, how the software came about, free and open source software, but also the communities around it. And what I think I really enjoyed about, I got from the magazines at the time and Linux format is the one that, uh, that stands out for me is the one that I preferred above all others is that it just allowed me to poke into all these different communities and each distro seemed to have its own its own community and enthusiastic fan base. And Ubuntu was there uh, and was quite young at the time, but Linux was still, it wasn't the Wild West, but it was still felt, I don't know, what's the word? Um, yeah, it felt like there was no main distro. Ubuntu wasn't the main distro at that time. It was just loads of them. And, and, and people were frequently saying, oh, there's too many distros, too many distros, you know, that kind of argument. But what, but I didn't bother me at all. I just really, really enjoyed playing around with lots of different distros and firing up the cover discs and then going onto forums. And, and I don't remember, maybe there was some bad tempered arguments, but I don't really remember that. I just, Actually, it was a really exciting time for me to, to to discover all of this. So as soon as I went onto the PC Linux OS website, which is quite retro in itself, with its sort of center pane and two wings left and right, uh, with other links down the, the edges, like almost like an iframes type layout, I immediately felt that, that sort of retro nostalgia feeling. Uh, turn up and and it carried through the whole distro process like Kevy mentioned with synaptic uh, being the package manager that was one thing that uh, that stood out to me I mean, not that I've ever liked synaptic to be honest <laughs> uh, but um but it, it brought back the retro vibes um and the as I mentioned the the desktop wallpaper wasn't quite as old as that. It was just KDE4, which is, well, I suppose that is going back 10 years now, isn't it? KDE4. And all these ways, bam, 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 it kept hitting me. I will say one thing about the installation in that, again, that was a bit retro, but very smooth, very quick, very, um, I only had one issue and I'm not convinced that was anything to do with PC Linux OS. I think it may have been, I was mucking around with VirtualBox, which is where I installed it previously, what happened was I went through all the trouble of answering the questions about time zones and carefully picked out uh, Europe, London as my time zone. Um, it didn't ask me at any point whether I wanted to daylight savings time done automatically for me. And so it dumped, when, I, when I booted up, the only thing that went wrong was the clock was an hour behind because it was showing Greenwich Mean Time or UTC. Whereas I should be in British summertime, which is an hour ahead. I don't really know why that happened, but it could be my virtual box setting. So I'm not going to jump to any conclusions. Like Dave said, if you're reviewing in a virtual machine, you have to be aware that that can throw some things out of, of whack. And in particular, I have recently told VirtualBox not to pass the system time on to the, the guest. But I, th I was pretty sure I, I unset that. So I don't think that was the issue. Other than that, it all went pretty flawlessly. One thing that I don't know if either of Kevy or Dave mentioned was that some software actually doesn't get installed by default. You have to go into the manager and then start initiating the installing process. I think was it VirtualBox? Yeah, VirtualBox is there's an entry in the menu there. If you try and use it, the first thing it says is, "Do you want to?" download the sort of non-free version of VirtualBox, the, the binary pre-compiled version. That wasn't the case for Zoom. That did fire up, although I didn't try Zoom. It wasn't the case for any desk, but it, I think it, it might be just those four pieces of software 
that were updated outside Synaptic. LibreOffice was one. VirtualBox was another. And then there was two others that I forget. They were like kind mm. of big packages like these ones. They were... Yeah. Um, and I assume the what they had in common is they were binary downloads rather than packages that got compiled as what they had in common. We've seen a similar thing with Dropbox when you installed the Dropbox, the Nautilus Dropbox package on GNOME-based systems, where the first thing it does once it launches is it goes and gets the Dropbox binary and then executes it. And I believe that is down to distribution rights, as in you're not allowed to bundle the binary distribution as part of your Linux distro. You have to download it on first use. Yeah, I think maybe Java and maybe even Chrome have that unless you get some specific agreement with them. Anyway, but that brings me to my last point that I w- wanted to make. And again, it's going back to the idea of community. I was hunting around looking for documentation, because I like to read the documentation. And actually, one problem I did have is it took me quite a few clicks till I found where the wiki was. Again, that was my that was my fault. I, I think I actually had a window over that bit of the screen. <laughs> so I'll take that one on the chin. That was probably just me. But I would have liked to have a link to the wiki inside PC Linux OS itself. If there was a help or documentation section yeah, in the I menu. Yeah, I think that's where what I felt like a welcome screen or something might have been nice. You know, yeah. click, click here for the forums, click here for the wiki. Just even if you had unticked and said, don't show this again or whatever. Yes, that would solve the problem. Um, oh, I forgot to say one important thing that I have not said is that I tried the XFCE version, not Matty, not KDE, uh, XFCE, and it still had the KDE theming as well. It was very nice, though. It wasn't ugly. It was a little bit retro, but, you know, but it was fast, you know, which is why you'd, and light. Oh, the other thing, like, sorry, <laughs> like Columbo tonight. Uh, one more, one, <laughs> just one more thing. I noticed when I was down, going for the downloads, that the download sizes for KDE, MATE, and XFCE were pretty similar. I was kind of expecting KDE to be the big one, but it wasn't. They were all well, two-point-something uh, gigabytes. They were all of similar size, except for K. Was it Dark KDE? I'm not sure what Dark KDE was. I didn't actually go and explore that. Maybe it's KDE for Sith Lords or something. I'm not sure, but um, <laughs> maybe we should. But it was smaller <laughs> anyway. After I clicked onto the website, I came across something quite cute that goes back to uh, the community aspect that I mentioned earlier. PC Linux OS has a magazine. I thought that's cute. Mm. I'm not. And then, um, and I, I kind of half expected to go and find a bunch of dead links or something. And apparently, they've managed to publish every month, I think, and only missed one issue in 2009 or something like that. And I have to say, that's quite impressive going so it's clearly got a community behind it i thought the the magazine was pretty nice um one thing i liked about it is i didn't have to download a graphics heavy pdf that i could barely read it had an html version so i went straight for that i I really you know i I appreciate people like their graphics and their arty designs but too many times i've seen these magazines like fan magazines where you can barely read the text because of all the busyness of the background image. But they had an HTML version, so it was perfect for my uh, rubbishy eyes. So it gives you a flavour. The lead article was Musk Tech Leader's Call for AI Pause, so quite topical. It has two GIMP tutorials. One, Kevy, is how to recreate the PC Linux OS logo, but not the bull, not the bull, which I I agree does look cool. (laughs) The the Linux the PC Linux OS logo does not appear on their website, but does appear 
on the website in the in the magazine's website, and it's pretty you know it's again pretty retro. But the main thing and the subject of the tutorial was how to join the N and the U so the so that they become one compound letter. <laughs> um, the other tutorial was actually quite interesting. It was about how to manually colorize a black and white photo using GIMP. Yeah, so again, well up my comfort zone and knowledge zone. There's two recipes. PC Linux OS Recipe Corner, Hash Brown Breakfast Casserole. I thought it was going to be about how to create hashes of your packages or something, but no, it is in fact a recipe for a hash brown be- breakfast that you bake in the oven. <laughs> Fantastic. I know, and it's, the other one is, oh, oh, unfortunately it's not displayed in my uh, screen. Yeah, what the, the other, other one is was. Ritz Cracker Thin Mints. Yes, yes, and mint spelt with a T, just to be clear. <laughs> not <laughs> yes, I not mint, <laughs> not C E. Um, anyway, so uh, and then there was an article republished on the Creative Commons from the Electronic Frontier Foundation about uh, some legislation that's coming in in the US that you should might be worried about, and and so forth. So actually, I thought it was a pretty interesting little magazine, and clearly. There's a bit of a community there, which I got the sense of elsewhere as well. I liked PC Linux OS. I was a bit concerned when Kevy said that maybe some of the software might be a little bit long in the tooth, but actually I didn't run into that in the brief tests I did with it. And that wouldn't bother me too much as long as it worked. I went in without any expectations really and was pleasantly surprised. Uh, And I actually would say something that I don't often say and that I would consider it the XFCE version certainly as a daily driver. You know, uh, I'm tempted. I'm I'm tempted to try it out that way on an old laptop when one becomes available. So yeah, it was good. So Dave, your question. Well, before I do that, there was something you said that I wanted to respond to. You mentioned about the time being uh, incorrect was showing UTC when it should have been showing British summertime. Uh, when I did the installation, after the install that happened, the first boot, when it was like setting up the session for me, it said, what's your time zone? And I said, I was Europe, London. And it asked me the question, is it 25 to 10? Sorry, 25 to 11 or 25 to 12? Well, it was 25 to 5 at the time. (laughs) (laughs) And actually, the 25 to 11 was the local time, and the 25 to 12 was the UTC. So even that was back to front as well as wrong. So I'm not quite sure what happened there. Anyway, my question, and this is going to be, well, not hopefully, but I imagine it's going to be quite contentious. Uh, Hate mail to me, please. I don't want to be overcritical, but apart from values and ideologies on the underlying operating system. What is the actual selling point of PC Linux OS, Mate edition, because that's the one I reviewed, over something like Ubuntu Mate or even another desktop operating system that has vanilla Mate laid on top of it? This one, to me, it just reminded me of Ubuntu 804 with your standard two panels, but they were just two panels merged into one. From an end-user's perspective, is there any difference between... PC Linux OS Mate and the Fedora Mate Compis spin, for example. I looked for a page on the PC Linux OS website that gave me an indication of why I should use it, and I couldn't find one. What are your thoughts? The question that you posed is not one that would have occurred to me. For a start, I didn't look at Mate, I looked at XFCE, so I can't even answer the question. I haven't used Mate recently, so I, I really can't 
can't directly answer the question, but I suspect that the answer doesn't matter for, for people that are coming at it from a point of view that's different to the one you come at it from, Dave. Um, like, for example, the, the, the way I came at it, I think, was fairly unique to me in that it gave me a nostalgia vibe, <laughs> you know, and it reminded me, and it was a very subjective reason. I just liked it, you know. I mean, why would you, you see somebody drive, park their car outside your house, and you think, oh, that's a nice blue colour, and I like, you don't even know what model it is, but I like the look of that car, and you know nothing about it. It might be the most unreliable heap of junk in the universe, but you just like the look of it, you know, you just like the feel of it, the vibe that it gives off. And so, in my case, that's what I liked about it. It may be that if I tried to use it as my daily driver, I wouldn't like it, or maybe I would love it, I don't know. If you approach it in the way with the objective criterion that you're going for that specific question, you probably are going to struggle uh, to find an, uh, a good reason why you should use this rather than uh, something else with Matty. But I suspect the reason, from uh, admittedly a very brief delving into PC Linux OS, I suspect it's one of these distros that's been around for so long because it was it's got community. People have got to know it. They've got to like it warts and all, and that's why they keep on using it. So it's, they probably don't even bother really thinking an awful lot about how to attract new users. New users sort of join, it, it may be a, what's the word, it may be fairly rare that people come through the door, but once they're in, I think maybe they stay. Clearly that it has to be true to some extent if you're a distro that's existed for, what, it's almost 20 years now, I think, they since mm. they pulled away from uh, Mandrake, Mandriva, whatever it was called back then. Yeah. That's right, 2003. Yeah, but it's a good question. It's a good question, yeah. but I think perhaps the answer is more to do with an established community rather than convincing new people to use it. Yeah, and that's a really great response to the question that I asked, um, something I hadn't considered, I'll be perfectly honest. If you do have a community behind it and there is then therefore a sense of pride in the development and production of this particular operating system for whatever the reasons and motives are, then... I'm more than happy to go back into my box, absolutely. But from a from an objective perspective, looking at this as a distribution, because I have no stake in the operating system or its community, I didn't see what the community is seeing. And it doesn't matter whether it's Mate, whether it's XFCE, whether it's KDE. Um, well, actually, no, it does matter because I haven't seen them. Therefore, I don't know what the look and feel is, whether it is literally just XFCE sat on top of the, the base operating system or just KDE sat on top of the base operating system. But, I mean, even Kevy mentioned about, you know, it would be nice if there was a... Sorry, no, I, think, I think you've mentioned actually, Andrew. It would be nice if there was um, a link to the documentation. Kevy, I think you mentioned about there being a welcome screen. You know, things like that, just to, to give it that little little bit of, of personal identity. Even if it's just the first thing you see when you log in, you close the window down or it's just stuck in a corner somewhere. PC Linux OS wiki. Just to remind you that this is something different, something with an identity that I just did not see. Like I say, I'm probably being really overcritical and maybe even unfair. And I apologise if that's no, how it's no, coming no, no, across. No, not at all. I mean, but, <laughs> well, look at it another way. If the three of us all came at it from the same point of view, then, then only one of us would have to review it. So, mm. yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, personally, I would say quarks aside in the installation i would say this was a, one of the more painless re reviews we've done which is estimate to it mm. 
Yeah, yes. yeah, I mean, I yeah. didn't have yeah, to yeah. fight yeah. with it an awful lot. I everything mm. worked pretty much out of the box. Okay, oddity that it's set a microphone as my default output. That one is very much an odd one. But apart from that, that that was pretty much it. Yeah. So I would say, like I said, worth a try. I, I I'd say don't go in expecting bells, whistles, and uh, don't go in expecting a Lamborghini or a Ferrari. This is more your uh, old reliable. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. So I think it is perhaps now time for a tune. Indeed. And actually, this one uh, I just couldn't resist when I saw the name of it. And maybe this is what, uh, maybe this was maybe Dave's call actually for this one. <laughs> so uh, it's Piccadilly Circus with Help Me, I'm a Geek. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, so next up, we are going to look at the Android app Podverse, a podcast managing app. Now, assuming that my fellow uh, co-hosts are still talking to me, I'm going to pass this over to Andrew to to give us his first opinion on the uh, the Podverse app. Oh, yes, well, why wouldn't we be talking to you? You seem determined to uh, follow up with us this <laughs> evening, Dave, but you've got uh, another segment in which to try... I shall keep trying, yes. <laughs> You're not getting out of it that easy. <laughs> you'd, hear, you'd hear for the rest of time. <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. So, um, Podverse. Well, I, I'll be honest, I've not come across Podverse before, as I'm sure probably people who've listened to Tux Jam for a while will know. I am quite partial to my podcasts. Um, I'm not the greatest at listening to one podcast. I tend to subscribe to a zillion of them and then I look through the, the episodes that appear and then as the fancy takes me, we'll listen to one. So it's not like a, um, I would listen to, so if I, a, if I was a Tux Jam listener rather than a presenter, uh, then I would pro- I'll probably listen to most of them because they don't come out that frequently, but ones that publish every week. <laughs> <laughs> a weekly or a daily God Help Us podcast I probably wouldn't keep up with so I would just skip a lot of them and just occasionally if one looked particularly interesting so that I, I mention that is because that is my use case is that I, I subscribe to a lot and then like pick and choose which ones I feel like listening to at a given time and at the moment I use like many people I use AntennaPod for that purpose on my phone to be honest I've got far too many subscriptions I say I've got far too many, but it's not a big problem because not every podcast is still going. So uh, the stream of episodes day by day is, I don't know, maybe half a dozen to a dozen, depending on the day. So it's not too bad. Uh, It only takes me a few moments to, to, to flick through the list of episodes that have come out each day. And to be honest, I... AntennaPod, AntennaPod serves my needs so well that I barely even need to think about it. In fact, my main use case is... At night time, sometimes when in the middle of the night I wake up, I can't back back to sleep, I'm somewhat blurry-eyed, I just sort of stab around at my phone, get something that I vaguely want to listen to on, and then sometimes I'll nod off again, and sometimes I'll get into it and listen to the whole thing and then go on to the next one and get a bit of listening done in the wee hours of the, of the morning. That's that's kind of my how I listen to my podcasts. So, Podverse. Well, to do a proper test, I thought, well, why not just export my feeds using the OPML format from AntennaPod. Can I import them into Podverse? Yes, I can. And the first thing I have to say is Podverse felt so similar to AntennaPod. You know, the, the layout of the screen, and then when you start listening to a, an episode, the player bar appears across the bottom of the screen. I, I thought, surely this is a fork of AntennaPod. So I went on to the, the website and looked around, couldn't see any mention of it being a fork of antenna pod. So, well, well, look at the source code then. And and then I, I couldn't find the source code on the website. So I went to F-Droid, uh, or I couldn't find a link to the, the the source code on the website. So I went to F-Droid, and F-Droid's quite diligent about providing links, and one of the links was to the source code. So off I went to the source code. And no, it is not a fork of antenna pod. It seems to be built from the ground up in its own unless I'm mistaken, please correct me if I am. It was so similar that I was able to use it, even in a half-conscious state in the middle of the night, 
and was still able to use it because it was so similar to Antinopod that all my automatic pilot prodding at the screen all worked just fine. Um, I have to say, I could use that just as happily as I could use Antinopod. I poked around at the features, but since I don't really use many of the features that Antinopod offers me, and I can't really, didn't notice anything about Podverse that really was radically different, I would say it was a, a dead heap between the two. I could use one, I could use the other. And I suppose that's a good thing, you know, um, that if anything happened to uh, Antinopod's development, then I could switch to Podverse and vice versa. And it's so simple. It's literally under a minute for me to take my whole podcast feed and recreate it in the other. So there was one other thing. Oh, yes, the other thing is discovery. Antennapod is pretty good for discovering things. I just type in a few words that describe the podcast, and then it usually finds it somehow, uh, and then I add subscribe to it, and that's that. Podverse, it was exactly the same. I decided to subscribe to a new podcast that I'd not, uh, actually not actually subscribed to yet on Antennapod, because I only heard about it in the last few weeks. And it's quite good. It's called A Career in Ruins. It's about archaeology, which I thought was quite a, quite a good, funny title. Um, and uh, and so if you liked uh, Time Team uh, on the TV, which has come back as a YouTube thing as well, if uh, British viewers will remember Time Team started way back in the 90s and carried on, and has been on our TVs for some time now. Well, if you like that kind of archaeology, sort of like layman's archaeology show, well, um, the podcast version is this career in your ruins. I think that's a roughly uh, sort of the niche it's filling. Um, so anyway, it found it no problem, and I was subscribed and listening to my first episodes within moments. So yeah, great. Uh, pod first, recommend it. Very straightforward to use, especially if you know AntennaPod. But only slight question would be. If you've already got AntennaPod, I can't really see a compelling reason to switch to pod first and vice versa. But maybe one of my uh, my co-conspirators in TuxJam can set me straight on that. So, uh, Kevy, what did you make of Podverse? Well, I have to admit, I have tried AntennaPod in the past, but for some reason it didn't catch my attention full-time. Don't know why. That was a while ago. I've bounced around with a few different podcatchers. And I think the other thing is I'm a wee bit like yourself in that I subscribe to a quite a few and I listen to them as and when the fancy takes me. So one of the reasons I think I quite like this one was that it doesn't, it's not got a blanket automatically download every podcast. That's one thing I like about it. Each one, you click on the podcast you've got, you've subscribed to, and you can click auto download on or off, no bother. It's a blue slider button at the top. Very much uh, the UI throughout is black with blue. You can either have it as a list, one on top of the other, or you can have it as the podcasts are just displayed as their tile icons and they're displayed in rows of three. Uh, so that's your, that's your general options there. The other thing I quite liked is the, by default, I think it's like 10 or 15, the most recent 10 or 15 pod episodes are listed for each podcast. But if you actually just scroll down, they'll gradually load right the way back to the very start. The, the other thing, though, is if you decide, let's just say you were doing uh, one of our listeners, Peter Patterson, he went right the way back to the start. Now, of Tux Jam, I listened to it. I believe he also did it with a bugcast, if I remember rightly. Now, if you were to do that, and it's only loading 15 at a time, that would take quite a long time to actually get to episode one. So 
you obviously don't want to do that every single time. But one of the features I quite liked about it was that if you went and let's just say you downloaded the first five episodes of Tux Jam, then when it went to listed, if you went on a Tux Jam, now, I, oddly enough, I did try this. Type in Tux Jam in the search and I got three Tux Jam different ones. However, I thought, great, it's found all three. No, it didn't find the uncut one. It found two versions of the OG, neither of them were the uncut, and the MP3 feed. <laughs> it did not. However, if you've got a custom feed, uh, this was one thing that I found was a wee bit clunky. If you had your own custom feed, you go to more and go to add RSS feed. Okay, so that is how you... You actually add an individual feed if you've got the RSS feed. The one of the things that as well I was really impressed with was I usually use one of the RSS scrapers for uh if I've got likes of a iTunes URL or a Google Play Google Podcasts URL, I usually use one of the scrapers to get the RSS feed out of that. You don't actually need to with this. Putting it in works which I was really impressed with. The, now, when you you can either choose two ways of listening. You can either listen as a stream or you can listen to, you can stream it as on the go or you can download it. If you've, like I said, you've gone right the way back to episodes one, two, three, four, five, and you've downloaded them, at the top, there's a button for every podcast that's recent. You can click on that and switch from recent to downloaded. So that means it just searches the ones you've downloaded. Other feature I like, which I believe you can turn off, but I've never actually wanted to turn this off, is if you're the type, if you're in a place like this where signal, to be honest, is patchy and uh, I can lose signal, especially if I'm driving. So streaming isn't always the best option. There, I'll quite often download the podcasts. Now, once you've done and you've listened to them all the way through, if you haven't finished listening to them, you can pick it up from where you left off. Once you've finished it automatically deletes the episode. So you don't end up with a bunch of wasted space on your phone. The, if you lose signal for more than a, about a second or two, I did notice a couple of times, some of the time it would resume where it kind of lost signal, but a few times I found it went right the way back to the start, which is kind of more annoying. And especially if you're driving, you really don't want to risk picking up your phone and starting to find your way, especially if it's like a two-hour podcast and you're trying to get to one hour, five minutes on it. You don't really want to be picking up your phone and fiddling about. So that was the, the one negative I had with it. Now, oh, thankfully, as I was doing this, I replaced my phone and I started testing this on my old phone. And then I thought, right, okay, I want to take this over. And similar experience to Andrew, except he went from a different app. Export the settings import them in, work completely seamlessly. Obviously, the one thing that does happen there, but however, this kind of nullifies it. If you use an SD card and you save your, download your episodes to the SD card, if you take the same SD card over to your new phone, it automatically picks them up. If, obviously, you don't, you, you're not going to take the hard drive over from your old phone. So that's something that you will lose. So just something to be aware of there. Uh, there was something that I didn't even know about that uh, Dave pointed out to me, that there's actually a membership option, which, to be honest, I didn't know about, and I was using this for over a month. And to be honest, actually, after 
using it for the kind of six weeks that I have been using it. Now I've been using it solidly six weeks, and it has now become the podcast, my podcast uh, listener, I podcatcher, should I say, and listener of choice. One of the other features that I did like, if the podcast has a donation button, then up on the top when you click on the podcast, it's like a wee dollar or a penny, which you can click on. But obviously that's only if the podcast has actually enabled that. So you can donate. If or how much Podverse actually takes of that, if they take a cut of it, I don't know. But I did like that feature there that you could actually support the podcast as well. So, yeah, overall, I really, really enjoyed this. And it actually now has become my podcatcher of choice. So if you're in the market for a new podcatcher, I would highly recommend it. If you're not and you're happy as Andrew was with your current one, then to be honest, I don't know. Is there enough extra here for you to... To switch over? Maybe, maybe not. But uh, for me, this uh, suits my needs perfectly, and I would highly recommend this one. So, Dave, what were your thoughts? Interesting. Very interesting indeed. So he didn't get on with um, this either. <laughs> no, no. I mean... <laughs> Just the way he said it. <laughs> no, I didn't. You're right. Um, <laughs> so, it, I, th- I think the, the, the general consensus is that it, it is not easy to review a podcast app that isn't the one you're already using on a regular basis. But having said that, Podverse, it is nice to use. It's very clean. It's very uncluttered. I did wonder where it was getting its search results from when I was doing some digging around, whether it was getting it from the podcast index or from Apple or from the Gpodder directory. Uh, I couldn't confirm it because Gpodder directory was actually completely broken, as it very often is. I had the same experience with... um, Importing the OPML file, uh, I my PocketCast is my um, uh, podcatcher of choice, so I exported the entire subscription list using OPML, imported it into Podverse, and it it just worked. I think one show didn't actually make it in, but that might be a show that's you know disappeared ages ago. For those that were actually imported, I did notice there were a few that had. In the album art, the, the, the album art of the podcast itself had the letters RSS at the top. And I can only presume that's because it didn't recognize it as a podcast that it has in one of its directory services. So it's a manually added one rather than a one that's in an index somewhere. But I also noticed that all of those that were flagged as RSS didn't have the auto-download functionality available. And I have something like 60, maybe 70 subscriptions uh, in pocket casts so i had to go in to probably just over half of them i think and actually go in and mark them as auto download which is a, a little bit of a faff i couldn't test the ability to sync the subscriptions to an account because yeah you need to pay for a subscription as has already said uh, I, i'd already used up my 90 day free trial about 10 months ago and didn't realize um but i, I did have a, 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 a listen to some of the podcasts that, that were successfully uh, identified some of them did um, over the l- last what four weeks or whatever it is um you know, some podcasts have successfully downloaded automatically i don't recall getting any notifications for them that might be a premium feature actually but going in and, and clicking play on them and it just plays back you know it does exactly what it's supposed to do i then identified the killer feature 
that this application did not have, and that is playback speed. You can change the playback speed for the currently playing podcast, but that change, that playback, playback speed, then persists for all the other podcasts you're listening to until you change it. So if I want to have my daily fix of the archers mixed in with my weekly fix of Desert Island Discs, yeah, I know, it sucks being 50, then I have to listen to everything on one times playback speed. I can't set the archers to one and a half and Desert Island Discs to one, which is what I have on Pocket Casts, independently. Unfortunately, this would be a deal breaker for me if I was looking for another podcast app, which, well, I wasn't. Something separate in a minute, actually. So it, it does... It, it it does put the the, the kibosh on on me actually looking at uh, at Podverse as a, as a as a reasonable replacement for what I'm using at the moment. It also doesn't support episode tagging. Now this is not a deal breaker by any means, but some of the podcasts that we produce and some of the ones that I listen to as well, they flag the episode number and also whether it's just a normal episode, whether it's a trailer, whether it's a bonus episode, which some podcast apps actually display. Podverse doesn't. But like I say, it's not a deal breaker at all because, you know, it, it's just a nice to have. It's a, it's a nice feature. It may be that these features were introduced into the podcasting spec by the green fruity company, you know, the one that didn't produce all the Beatles back catalog. So this might be an ideology de- decision on the part of the developers of Podverse that they decided not to include this. I don't know. I did like the concept behind the ability to make clips of podcast episodes that could then be shared with other Podverse users. So, for example, if there's a particular segment, you know, the sake of argument, 90 seconds long segment from a particular podcast that you thought, oh wow, this is this is worth sharing on its in its own on its own in its own right, then you can highlight the start and end time of it and then say, right, publish that back into Podverse. Other Podverse users, unfortunately, it's a premium service, so you can't do it from your free subscription, could then pick up on those. It's almost like a social sharing feature of the Podverse app, which I thought was really nice. Overall, I would recommend this for anybody who's looking for a simple, straightforward, floss podcast manager that works well. Like I say, there are some features that are lacking in an otherwise very well put together piece of software. Personally, I will continue to use Pocket Casts because it does exactly what I want it to do and it does it well and it's now free and open source. It wasn't when I started using it, but it is now. Also, full disclosure, I do pay for the plus version of Pocket Cast, so I get a lot of the additional features. But it's difficult to recommend podcasts as a replacement for something other people are using because the plus version of Pocket Cast is actually twice the cost of the premium version of Podverse. Of what you're getting, you actually get more, what I would classify as basic features, in the premium version of Podverse than you do in the plus version of pocket casts so in terms of value for money it may be better to go ahead and and trial the premium version of podverse and see whether those features actually mean something to you so i would recommend that anybody thinking about this would actually go and do their own research a little addition to this particular review that only only put in about 15 minutes ago i'm now looking at uh, antennapod because one of the the killer features of antennapod for me was the ability to synchronize the subscriptions with a centralized service well, that centralized service was gpodder which is flaky as you like very unreliable uh, what i went to earlier on it was dead so i've just discovered actually there's a next cloud next cloud plugin that allows you to synchronize 
AntennaPod subscriptions to it. So I'm going to be giving that a go uh, over the next few weeks. But this wasn't an AntennaPod review. This was a Podverse review. So like I said, if you're looking for a Floss podcast manager, it's certainly worth a try, but definitely give the plus version, sorry, the, the premium version of it a trial as well. Okay, that, so that, that was interesting because you did, uh, both of you mentioned features that distinguished Podverse from AntennaPod. So although I guess the reason that I didn't spot them is because there were features that I have not used and probably won't use. Like playback speed is not something I bother with. Um, I always listen to things in their normal speed. Yeah, but interesting to know. That's it. Right, and I think it's about time for a tune. And this is The Woods with Bad Rain.
Come to the final segment. <laughs> but we still have a wee bit to go. Plus, don't don't be too despairing. There still is another track. And you're not that lucky. We'll be back again in the next episode. No, not too distant future. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah, there was an event happened just at time of recording only last weekend. Uh, can we think of what that was? Uh, Dave, can you remember? Oh, it was with a coronation. Yeah, something to do with a crown. Um, no. Yeah. Um... Did it involve... Um, maybe more likely people, Corona. People, <laughs> people drinking Corona. Corona. No, I don't remember what, that. The, the fizzy fizzy pop? <laughs> the re- uh, returnable bottles, you get like 5p pack from it. I don't know. Maybe if we ask some of the other people that attended Podcrawl, they might remember what, what you're talking about. Yes, right. <laughs> and they might do. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a good, very good pop. Uh, whoa, hang on. It was Podcrawl. Yes, yes. Why didn't you invite me That's to what it was. You were invited. <laughs> everybody was invited. We may not have told them, but everybody was invited. <laughs> and I have your name down on this list. So yes, I was there. there. I was, I was yes. just joking again. Yes, I was yes. there. <laughs> Joshing. <laughs> yes, yeah, so actually it was it was funny because although this time numbers weren't particularly high, I just thought it was generally quite a really nice evening. It was just a good getting to catch up uh and the, over the night, there was a few people in and out, you know, so, but I mean, there was like never, I don't think there was anybody ever any more than six on at one time. Am I right there? I've, I've got, I've written down seven, but seven. It, it could have been six, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a huge number at the, at one time. You know, we've been up to 10 or 12 before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this was a lot, uh, a lot quieter, but it was still good. Yeah, in fact, actually, six is five, six was was the number when I was there. It's quite good because mm. everyone can kind of contribute to the conversation. Whereas when you get to like twelve, it's just yeah, it gets a bit too busy of everyone's trying to speak. So yeah, it was nice actually. Well, everybody can contribute to the conversation if Jitsi hadn't muted you and you didn't know. <laughs> so there. There was there was a, a a rather frustrating period of time where both Caroline and I, because we were coming through on the same audio feed, <laughs> um, had been muted by Jitsi, or maybe we were muted and and just didn't realise. My uh, Jitsi window said I was not muted. We could so all see you both, were clearly muted, mm, and you were de- determined that you were not muted. Both, <laughs> both Caroline and I were trying to contribute to the conversation. We were like, "Are people just ignoring us, or what?" Aww. And we started to get really, really frustrated <laughs> because uh, Caroline sent me a message on Telegram. People just like 
ignoring me or talking over me or what? <laughs> and I sent a message to you, Andrew, and said, are you hearing us or not? And he said, no, we're not hearing you. Oh, by the way, you're muted at the moment. Is it? <laughs> no, I'm not. I yeah. pressed the big, uh, big red F5 button and suddenly everything came back to life again. <laughs> so I need to remember that one for next time. No, it, it was it was all good. Yeah, but then that prompted me to discover that I had the power. That we all had the power to mute each other and kick each other yes. from the room and kick each other out. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, because because we use the uh, the eight by eight, the the official Jitsi um, instance. Everybody has moderator rights. Mm. There's no one controller. When we were using pools. Jitsi server, which by the way is coming back. He he is he's definitely going to bring that back. Then whoever was there first automatically got moderator rights. Everybody else in there was a participant, so you had a bit more a bit more control over that. But actually, I find being able to mute somebody just randomly is just quite quite funny at times. Which I think is probably what happened to us. But I'm not I'm not going to I'm not pointing anything. <laughs> Hovering over the mute button. Oh, check out button. <laughs> no, no, I'll be. Oh good. yeah, we're in we're in Jitsi, aren't we? <laughs> yes, we are in Jitsi. But no, I'll be a good Don't. boy. I won't. I won't. I won't kick, kick you out like a. Well, it wasn't you that I kicked out. It's just you got the blame for me kicking Alan out. <laughs> Yes, because you did kick Alan out. Yeah, but, but for no good reason. Uh, I can't remember what no. the reason was. Uh, it was it was certainly not malicious. I did not want to. I had nothing against Alan. In fact, he's quite entertaining. Uh, I just thought. <laughs> I, I just <laughs> thought some people might take on Bridge, but I thought he would. He would think it was quite funny, uh, which is what happened. I think. No, he he came in and pouted like a scolded child um and it was it was it was really funny and he took he took it in the spirit it was intended which is is the important bit so yes we had uh, a total of 15 i say people um it's questionable i'll uh, you work it out in a minute but um uh, present in the room was we guy who evolved into team guy whilst we were there <laughs> uh, he was actually the first person in the room then peter solar spider uh, was there. I was there. Uh, Ariana, Lady Spider, was there as well. Had a nice chat to her. That was really, really nice. Gary, Tritium, Caroline, the good lady, she was there as well. Breeze the dog made a <laughs> made an appearance briefly. Uh, Kevy, Steve from the Sunday Lunch Coffee Clatch of YouTube channel, who Peter knows and invited along, was there for a while. And that was, it was a really interesting conversation, actually. Mm-hmm. Andrew, you were there. Mm-hmm. You were. Mm-hmm. Apparently, you see, uh, I was my, there. Yes, <laughs> no, that, that, we we have we have witnesses to to everything. By the way, my youngest Alex, he joined us for a, a short period of time. Uh, Yannick was there. Alan, as we already mentioned, was there about three times because that's roughly the number of times he was kicked out. <laughs> Amy gave a chico. <laughs> Amy gave a chico too. Came uh, towards the end, and also we were visited by uh, by Paul El Muscle, who was. Uh, he was there. Uh, I missed him again. I've never actually yeah, seen him. He only ever turns up right at the very end. <sighs> one day, one day. I, th- I think the pod crawl officially shut down at just before twenty to two uh, UK time. So that would have been twenty to three in Paul's uh, Paul's time because he's in Spain. Mm. Yeah, I, I stayed until half eleven. That was me. I was done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think I only left about fifteen minutes before they did. So it's uh, it was it was it was a good evening. But again, luckily for me, Joe Rissington didn't show up and keep me there until half past four uh, <laughs> and result me in a huge hangover on Sunday morning. So thanks, Joe. Appreciate that. 
Yes. And actually, on the subject of feedback, uh, we did get a very nice uh, piece of feedback from uh, Steve, who was on the show, and he actually posted... Uh, hi, all listening to my first Tux Jam podcast today. I can tell you have been doing this for a while. There is a nice natural flow and music tracks were a nice surprise. Why Peter keeps you all to himself is beyond me. So I, I really can't say uh, Peter keeps us to himself because he's <laughs> our biggest promoter. So, <laughs> But uh, no, thank you very much for taking the time to listen, Steve, and also thank you for the shout out. Indeed, yes. Mm. Very nice to get that kind of uh, comment. Wasn't there another comment about us being succinct? Because I've got a 70-page essay on why that's extremely appropriate to read out, if that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, nice. Yes, did we have any more feedback? Yeah, we we had... um, uh, Peter did his usual thing on on the Fediverse and retweeted the announcement that we had a new episode out. And there was also a brief exchange after episode 102 came out with R.L. Dane, who has uh, commented on the show before. Uh, and I think, Andrew, you spoke to him as, uh, in that same thread as well. He said, uh, can't wait to give the show a listen. Also, injurious puns are the very best kind. Referring to your note in the show notes, the disclaimer in the show notes, Kevy, saying that uh, injurious puns were... Uh, present in both the title the show notes and the episode yes mainly to do with void linux and voiding no yes. avoiding yeah oh yeah voiding of was was not was when i excised that was a pun too far because it's a family show so yes yeah, yes so uh, <laughs> everyone knows what, you, what void what you void but i didn't talk about that yes yes and just actually another one i've just noticed that i completely missed is that uh Again, a resident promoter, uh, Peter Patterson, promoted 102 and somebody going by the name Clippy, Clippy at linuxrocks.online. Uh, he says, I've been looking for a good Linux podcast again, so thanks for the suggestion. And he speaks again and then just says, uh, I've added that to my list. Thanks. I have a long drive today. But he never, I don't think he mentions it again, so I don't know how he got on with the Tux Jam. But uh, thanks, Clippy, for adding us to your list. Well, I was going to say, Clippy, do let us know if you think we are a good Linux podcast. It's, it's kind of important to uh, to be able to know these things. Yes. Also, it's, it was worried, we were worried there because we thought it was going to be Clippy at Microsoft. But it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> that would be terrifying if, if 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 Clippy really did escape word and became a Tux Jam listener. Yes, <laughs> that that would just be smart. Yes. <laughs> uh, now the only other one that uh, I think is that we should probably mention, and this is a long overdue mention, uh, George uh, at Geospart. Now, he seems to have mentioned us actually quite a bit on Twitter. Unfortunately, we're not really on Twitter these days very much. <laughs> uh, we used to have accounts there. I haven't deleted mine, but I am rarely on social media at all these days. But the, yeah, he's just given us a few various shout outs between 100 and 103. Uh, so yeah, thanks very much, George, for the, for the reposts and the mentions that you've given us. Yeah, definitely. We need to uh, be a little bit more observant, I think, around the yeah around the social space mm. for uh, for mentions like that. But yeah, thank you, George. That's it. Right then. So if you want to actually get a hold of us, then we do actually have our own TuxJam uh, TuxJam account on Mastodon, and that is TuxJam at 
podcast.social. Is that right? Is it podcast or podcasts? Um, podcasts. Hang on. Uh, podcast.social. Yeah, podcast.social. I, I know that if you drop the S, you don't get anything. It's a dead link. Got <laughs> it. I knew if you did one, you'd, you'd, you'd do that. Uh, if you want to email the show, uh, please do. We're tuxjam at otherside.network. However, if you want to get a hold of us individually, I'm at Kevy uh, on mastodon.me.uk. I'm also at Kevy49 on Twitter. I'm also at Kevy49 on Telegram. To be honest, if you actually want to be guaranteed to catch us, then we're probably most active on Telegram, especially in the Podcrawl beer chat group. <laughs> uh, we should maybe make a tux jam. No, no, no. no. We could go enough. We got enough. <laughs> <laughs> right then. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So, Andrew, how do people get a hold of yourself? I'm McNallu, M C N A L U, uh, on most uh, services uh, that you will find on the internet. Uh, you will find me on Twitter, though I'm not very active there these days. And I'm also on the same Mastodon server as Kevy and Dave, uh, Mastodon.me.uk. And can I just do a regular plug for Floppy, uh, um, who runs that server? Uh, if you, it's a very well run server, I have to say. Uh, and if you do use it, please consider giving Floppy uh, a little uh, donation. Yeah, I think he's actually got a an open collective. Is it open collective? I can't it remember. Is, it is open collective. Um, there, is, there is, yeah, there is, there is a a link on the instance to be able to uh, to contribute either on a one off or a regular basis. Absolutely. So, Dave, how do people get a hold of yourself? Yeah, you can find me on Mastodon as well. Uh, the Love Bug at mastodon.me.uk. I'm also on some other socials as well using the the username the Love Bug. But to be fair, I probably don't look at them very often. Right then, so it brings us to the end of the show, and we finish off with a tune. So this is VVS Music with Little Town in the Old County Down. So it's a good night from me. And it is a good night from myself. And all hate mail on a postcard to one of those two, please.
You've been listening to a member of the Other Side Podcast Network. Find out more about our shows at othersideportal.network.